Welcome back to the Dare to Dream podcast. My name is Gregory Russell Benedict, and you're probably wondering why it sounds like I'm recording using a microphone invented in 1912. Here's the answer. I'm on a trip. I don't have access to our podcast equipment. And to make matters even worse, Vinny is in Israel without a phone or a wallet. They were recently stolen, which has made recording this week's episode impossible. In order to stay consistent, to live up to our ideal of showing up and doing the work, of daring to dream, to get it done no matter what happens, we are being creative and releasing a previously recorded interview that I did on one of my friend's podcasts called Discomfort Theory. Let's go. Welcome, Gregory Benedict, to this Comfort Theory podcast. I'm so stoked to have you. You're actually my very first guest, believe it or not. Um, usually, I just do kind of a, a long form uh, sort of just some ideas I have and and things about discomfort I've been thinking about, and I've been wanting to have you on for a while. We've been talking about it. And why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm honored to be your first guest. I did not realize that that was the case. So my name is Gregory Russell Benedict. I am a professional life coach. I'm a writer, and I also have my own podcast called the Dare to Dream podcast. And Dan and I got connected through a group we do together called Men of Discomfort. Yeah, so I, I did Men of Discomfort, I think, one or two rounds before you did. Our, our friend uh, Dana Sanders kind of started that whole program, um, and it was really fun. Uh and we ended up getting kind of connected. The funny thing, I don't think I ever told you this before, Greg, but uh, when we first met, I like wasn't really sure because you're so like nice and positive all the time. I didn't know if you actually like liked me and wanted to be my friend or you were just like that to everybody and like we're just being polite. And I think then we ended up talking a lot more and we had like a lot of similar interests and ideas. And I was like, oh, okay, you know what? Maybe he's not just like, you know, uh, pull my leg or just, you know, be polite. And, and it's been cool staying in contact with you and kind of going through life. I think we both have a, a passion for self-mastery. Mm. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Because as I understand, you graduated college, you were a financial analyst or something in that field. And, and then why don't you tell us what happened after that? Yeah, absolutely. So first I have to say what your comment about me being too nice brings up something is that my my business partner and I'll get to the business we were doing together but he had the same comment more along the lines of when he first met me he thought I was faking it uh, he thought that I was <laughs> completely putting on a persona and I would always make fun of him like you know later in our relationship because he's like yeah man when I met you like I thought you were just full of shit like you were too nice you were too happy you were too stoked about life and so it's really funny that you I appreciate you sharing that with me yeah but it, the funny thing is as I've gotten to know you I've learned that it's not like a front and that's actually what I really appreciate about you it's like you're very positive you have like a great energy and um yeah I think you're really dedicated I think underneath of that you know really nice persona that you have too or like how it comes out is you are actually really passionate and can be really serious about things when they count too it's funny because my parents think I'm way too serious, uh, but what I get from other people is that I'm 
at least I'm trying to be more playful and take myself less seriously. That's that's a major goal of mine, but I would say you're correct and that when I'm passionate about things, I can really laser in and get intense. And so back to your question of kind of my story. Yeah. I I went to school and I studied finance. I loved it. I loved the analytical side of things. I loved the challenge. Um, and so I went into finance after school and I thought that was my dream job. I thought my dream was going to be working in private equity, buying and selling companies, uh, making millions of dollars in private equity. And after, so I didn't go into buying and selling companies, but I worked at a private equity real estate investment firm. It's a huge name, <laughs> six words. And yeah. we were buying and selling grocery anchored shopping centers. And so I was, I was a financial analyst. I was doing what I thought I wanted to be doing, but I just started to feel really uninspired and fulfilled, unfulfilled. I started questioning, is this really what I'm supposed to do with my life? Am I supposed to just sit behind a computer for eight to 11 hours a day and just type in Excel? Yeah. And this was at the beginning of the pandemic was when I was really starting to think about things. But about mid-pandemic, I hit a breaking point and I had had enough. And so I ended up walking away from my job in June of 2020, which was kind of the height of the coronavirus in my eyes. Yeah. And I remember telling my dad, 50% of my plan is to have no plan. And he's like I am. I mean, I'd probably say I'm like he is in the sense that we're both logical and rational and analytical. And so when I came to him and said, yeah, I don't really have a plan, but you know, this is my heart is telling me to do this and I know it's going to work out. Yeah, the, there was definitely some some tension, and he he came around. My mom came around, but I I left my job in finance. I had no idea what I wanted to do, and I ended up starting a nonprofit with a stranger who I met on the internet. Yeah, and wow. how we got connected was crazy. So I mentioned in the intro, uh, I'm I love to write. I'm a writer, and I had been writing about kind of what I wanted to do and my journey up until this point when I was still at my old job and yep. I was posting it online. I was in this personal development group called Go For Your Win that is hosted by Aubrey Marcus, who's just an absolute inspiration and legend. And I had a woman reach out to me on Facebook and she said, Hey, Gregory, I know I don't know you and I hope you don't think this is weird, but I've been following your articles and I'm in a coaching certification class with this guy named Tim. And I think you two need to meet because your mission and your vision seem so similar. And yeah. so she put us in a, a Facebook group with the three of us. And I was like, hey, Tim, like, we'd love to jump on a FaceTime. And we jump on a FaceTime and him and I instantly hit it off. He was just graduating from Rice University in Texas. So he's a couple years younger than me. Uh, but he grew up in San Diego and he was in San Diego for the summer. And so we met up. We and That's where you live. That's yeah. where I live in San Diego. Yep. Yeah. And so we met up. That's this is the this is the guy who thought I was too nice uh, right. and thought I was faking it at the beginning. But uh, we kept hanging out. We went on some hikes and we were just talking really big ideas. I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I knew it involved personal development and helping other people realize their potential. He was going down that same path. And so we came together and we started a nonprofit called the Enjoyable Pain of Growth Academy. And it's called Epog Academy for short. Yeah. My business partner's name is Tim Harrison. He's still the CEO. He's still running it. And 
They bring professional leadership coaching and evidence-based personal development to underserved youth, primarily high school students at this point. And I, I'm saying they instead of we because I, I helped for a year and a half, raise money, build the company, get it off the ground. But in December of 2021, I decided that it was time for me to shift away from that and focus solely on what lights me up personally, which is coaching, writing, and podcasting. Yeah, that's awesome. And now it's really cool. I think that you've kind of, I think people like when they first try something new, it's like, if this new thing I'm doing doesn't work, that's it. You know, it's like, I'm going to give up if the first thing I try doesn't work and slink back to what I don't like to do or something that's safe. I think that's really cool that you were able to like continue through the sort of discomfort of figuring out what you're truly passionate about. And I think that's like more than half the battle is just finding what that thing is that kind of inspires you. Um, and so tell me more about like life coaching. What is it? Who is it for? Is it for anybody, everybody? Is there certain people with certain goals? Are there, you know, different types of life coaches? Like tell, tell me a little bit more about that. I don't really know hardly anything, honestly, about life coaching. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I want to quickly say before I answer that question is that through quitting my job and then starting something that was like, it was, it was our baby. And I thought this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And then realizing that I needed to realign again, make a tough decision and pivot to something new. I think yeah. that kind of a process is, it's really scary the first couple of times, but you get more comfortable with knowing when you're out of alignment with your highest self and what you're, what you're supposed to be doing, even if it's a great opportunity. Right. And that's mm -hmm. what allowed me to kind of make that really challenging transition away from the nonprofit into my own coaching, which to answer your question, I honestly think that coaching is for everyone. I experienced my yeah. first taste of coaching uh, right when I, right when we were starting the nonprofit, I worked with an executive coach and everything I had thought about coaching was wrong. I thought I was going to work with a coach who was going to come in and she was going to tell me that you should do this and this, this strategy has really worked for me. You should implement it in your own life. Here are all these recommendations and tools and yeah. this is what you need to do. That is not coaching. That is consulting or mentoring or just plain advice giving. True coaching, true professional coaching, and I say professional to denote some rigorous training program to become a coach, is inquisitive questioning. It's assuming that the client has all of the answers inside of them and it's our job as a coach to help them dig out these solutions that they already have inside of them. Um, I'm actually, I'm reading a book called The Defining Decade, and there's a really interesting idea that I just heard about. I think I just read it yesterday. It's called The Unthought Known. Okay. And essentially what this means is that you've, you've probably experienced this in your own life, is when you start talking about something, you end up coming to a solution and you're like, oh, I actually had that inside of me and I knew that already. Right. But I just needed this space to talk about it and figure out that I actually knew the answer to this thing. I just hadn't, I hadn't given right. myself the space. Yeah. I was just going to say that. I think that's really awesome that uh, you, you got a coach and then someone was kind of walking you through all of this and you were like, actually, this is what I want to do for a living. Like what a cool story of how you found, you know, yeah, what you wanted to do. It was very much, I always wanted that lightning bolt moment 
where you're just walking down the street and then suddenly you just have this sudden awakening where you're like, yes, like this is my purpose. This is my passion. This is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. And that did not happen to me. There were years pretty much right from when I graduated college to, I mean, still it's figuring out, okay, what is it that I want to do and getting more and more precise and narrow on that. And so it was, it was a few years of deep personal work in the personal development realm of reading, writing, podcasting, taking seminars and like actually going to like online programs, like go for your win. Yeah. It was, I was using personal development as a medium to help find what I was passionate about, not knowing that that was actually my purpose. Right. It's like the tool I was trying to use to find my purpose was my purpose. Right. To help other people realize their potential through self-discovery, inner work, and ultimately coaching, which coaching to me encompasses all of those things. It's right. the best personal development tool I've found to just become the best human you can possibly be. Right. So it's almost more, it's almost like a therapy session in a way. You're sort of like, you know, because the therapist doesn't tell you, here's what's wrong with you. Here's what you need to do. It's like, Hey, what, what do you want to do? Like, do you actually want a successful, huge business or are you just trying to fill some hole and what you really want is like connection or someone to respect you, you know, stuff like that. So. Yeah, there are huge overlaps between therapy and coaching and coaching actually takes a lot of its toolkit from therapy, but there are distinct differences. Right. And I would say the biggest difference in my mind is that therapy is very much focused on the past. And actually one of the points of therapy is to diagnose a mental illness. Right. Um, whereas coaching will dip into the past to understand the story, to understand the setting and what happened. But it's all future oriented and it's hmm. action based, which I right. love. Like every yeah. coaching call is about getting to what we call field work, which are essentially just action items that the client is going to take between now and the next session. And when I first started coaching, I thought it was, oh, here's three things that I think you should do in between now and next session. And then it's like, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to give advice. So, Hey, Dan, maybe you should possibly sort of consider that you should do this. And I'm, I'm telling you to do it, but I'm asking it in a question. And right. then now I know that that's horrible. You don't want to do that. It's not going to be helpful. People aren't going to do the things. Instead, I'm going to summarize what you've mentioned. And I'm going to say, what do you think is the best step to take to get you closer to this? Right. And it's probably kind of obvious once you talk and get it out there too, what action you need to take. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I love that how uh, therapy is past oriented and then coaching is future oriented. I never thought about it that way. I never really knew much about, uh, you know, life coaching. That's, that's a really awesome takeaway from that. Yeah. And what's funny and somewhat ironic is when I first started coaching, and so I keep saying like first and now, the biggest distinction between the two is that I am almost done with an... ICF accredited coach training program. The ICF is the International Coaching Federation. They're this huge global company that's trying to standardize the coaching industry because yeah. anyone or their mom can just go out there and be like, I'm a coach, like, let me be your guru. The ICF is a really rigorous uh, entity that puts on these uh, training courses. And so 
the course right. I'm at right now is at University of San Diego. And what it has taught me is immense. And going back to the thing that's ironic is at first, when I was trying to figure out the answer to your problems, when I was trying to tell you what you should do, it was stressful. Like I got anxious in the calls. I was like, oh man, like what if I can't find the answer to this person's right. problem? Whereas now I sit back and I hold space and I ask questions and I let you do all of the work because it's your answer and your solution that you're going to stick right. to mm -hmm. that's going to be very meaningful in your life. Right. And then you're going to be more passionate about and wanting to do that solution because it's something that you want to do instead of you were told to, you know, like a doctor tells you, eat healthy so you don't die, you know, and you're like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, but you should do this. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's so uh that's that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that, Greg. Um uh next thing I want to talk to, this is Discomfort Theory Podcast. So I had a question. So those of you who don't know Greg, uh I'm about to ask him a question, but he he's actually like in amazing physical condition. He's like a human specimen. <laughs> I know you probably don't want to say that, but you're in like phenomenal physical shape um and you really take care of your body and I know that you're also very rigorous with your habits and routines and diet. But what, the question I want to ask you is, if you had to say what kind of your discomfort superpower is, what would you say it is? So so when I when I say this, let me explain it, I guess, a little bit. So I heard a really cool Tim Ferriss podcast where someone was asking the question like, well, what should I do uh, for a living? Or what, how do I find what I'm passionate about? Like, well, instead of answering that question, why don't you find what type of discomfort that you can handle better than anyone else. Like other people get burnt out or exhausted. Say some people are ultra marathon runners. They can just run and run and run and never get tired. I have a friend who's like a lawyer and he can like sit down in front of a computer and like research for literally 14 hours and not get bored of it. He was like one of the top guys at Stanford Law School because that was sort of his superpower. So what would you say is your kind of superpower of discomfort that you can like that you kind of dig into, it's like one of your greatest strengths? Mm, that is such a good question. And what comes to mind just right off the bat is something that is both a superpower, but also something that has negatively impacted me in multiple areas of my life. So it's this kind of double-edged sword, and I'll explain. It's my personal discipline. It's my ability to just decide I want to do something and be all in. Yeah. My default mode of my brain, I would say, is quite binary in the sense that it's either on or off. And so I'm the type of person who, if I decide that I want to stop eating gluten, I'll literally be mid-bite in a sandwich, like halfway through lunch. And I'm like, yep, I'm done yeah. with gluten and I'll throw it away. And yeah. I, like, I start then and I'm committed. Like there's no chance I'm going to backslide into it if I'm committed to it. This has allowed me to accomplish a decent amount of things that some other people struggle with because it's just easy for me to commit to something. Like if you told me that if I ate plain oatmeal for the rest of my life and nothing else, that that would allow me to realize my potential and all of my hopes and goals and dreams would come true, I could do it. Yeah, like I could, even though I love food, I love to eat. Uh, if you told me that I could, I could literally eat cardboard for the rest of my life. Right. And so on the one side, it's really positive because I can commit to things. I can carry them through. 
but the the shadow side of that that I'm really learning to deal with in coaching and in this program is I can be very hard on myself and very extreme in the sense where I'll renounce things, I'll remove things from my life yeah. in the guise of, oh, I'm just trying to be the best version of myself. I'm just trying to get better. But it's actually coming from a place of deep not enoughness, of mm. insecurity, and kind of how this has manifested most recently, this feels relevant to share, is yeah. in the past two years, I've pretty much redefined who I am as a person. I quit my job in finance. I right. started like it was kind of two years ago when I got really into working out and fitness and nutrition and health. Mm. And I realized that even though I've changed my outer self, I still have that inner critic. I call him my relentless taskmaster. It's this yeah. inner voice that's like always like you need to do more, you need to do more. And so the dark side of that superpower is that it can lead to just a masochistic almost tendency to just never feel like I'm doing enough and be satisfied. Mm. Right. That's actually a really awesome point because it is true that every strength that you have has almost like an equal and opposite weakness, you know, like either way you go, if you're a type A person, it's like the strength is you get so many things done and you are successful and accomplished. Then the dark side is like you are right, like hard on yourself and uh, never do enough. You can never live up to what you want to do or you can be, you know, too rigorous. And then if you were the opposite, if you were like an easygoing person, you're like, oh, it's easy. You know, I just chill and relax. And it's like, but you never get anything done and you procrastinate. So yeah, it's definitely, it's really awesome that you're able to know yourself well enough to know that that is sort of the good and bad of, I guess, your personality type and who you are. Yeah. And it, it feels like a big step in my personal growth and maturation to realize that there's a time and a place for that relentless taskmaster if I right. really need to get things done. But there's also a time and a place for the easygoing, the laid back, mm -hmm. the chill. Yeah, And seeing those two different modes of being as almost tools that I can change in and out when I need to do certain things has been really helpful. Yeah. I think you bring up a really interesting topic too around identity. Just sort of even hearing you talk about it, there is like this really delicate balance between like your identity as say someone who's fit and in good shape. It's like if that's an identity that can be very positive when it's used to inspire you to work out every morning and to eat healthy. But if something happens, if you like, you know, encounter an illness or something that takes your health away, you know, or you gain weight or something happens, like then that can really negative in, in, negatively impact who you are. Like I think that happens a lot with athletes. It's like yeah. I am a professional football player or something and then something happens and takes that away, then it can be sort of like a negative thing. So it is this interesting. What do you think about, I guess, identity versus, you know, accomplishment and like what to build your identity on? That's a really interesting point. And what's coming up for me is, that actually might be part of my discomfort superpower as well, is that I have this obsession with doing things that could potentially break me because I want to break through to the other side of my current identity. I want to break through that to see who, who I can become and what is that highest version of myself. Yeah. And so for me, I'm more concerned with who I can become 
than who I am now. And so my willingness to break down that current identity, I think is what has helped me, Mm -hmm. uh, at least in seeking discomfort. Right. Yeah. You almost have to have like an attitude of who you are right now is enough and you are a worthy person. Um, But at the same time, that doesn't mean that you're done growing and becoming, you know, actualizing all of the potentiality that you have and becoming the best version of yourself you could possibly be. Yeah. And I think that at the end of the day, when I look back at my life, the there's kind of two things that stand out, maybe three things. Okay. Maybe more than that, but growth is huge for me. Like our souls are not here to achieve. Our souls are here to grow and be challenged and fall down and get back up again as well as to love and to relax and enjoy life. But growth is such a core value of mine. So that's, that's what's coming up in all of this. It's just yeah. a desire to transform and evolve. Yeah. Like, I guess while we're on the topic, I was, I was just thinking about this too and I'd like to get your perspective. Um, I think, so a lot of the idea around why I started Discomfort Theory Podcast was I think in, in my view as sort of a culture, I guess, we have this obsession with comfort. Like if we can just make things easier, more convenient, um, if I could just do drive through everything, ultimate comfort would be like ultimate life. And I think that it's really hamstrung us as a society in a lot of ways. And I obviously, I don't think that, you know, living in a grass hut and chopping your own wood, I mean, although it weirdly sounds enticing to me like I would love that on some level like I never think about killing myself I think about I would just leave it all and go live in the wilderness by myself somewhere that would be like my thing um but I guess I want to get your take on I think what we've sort of landed on with men of discomfort in a lot of ways in our own personal lives is introducing these forms of discomfort in the hopes of undoing almost some of the damage that is done by living in a temperature controlled environment and by having, you know, ubiquitous access to food and running water. Like there is basically hardly any even inconvenience, like an inconvenience at this point is a discomfort, not like, you know, a ridiculous um, trial that ancient humans would have had to go. So I, I guess what I'm getting to is for my question is, what are your kind of go-to habits that you use to kind of leverage this discomfort to get to a better version of yourself, I guess you could say, um, and what ways do you think they benefit you? Yeah. So one of my favorite quotes is character like a photograph develops in the darkness. And that's a huge reason why I, seek discomfort is because as you mentioned if we just stay in our comfy temperature controlled world where we can just shove a bunch of soft processed food into our mouths and get fat like we aren't going to realize our potential we aren't going to make a meaningful difference in other people's lives if we aren't pushing ourselves and i'd say the habits that i do to get uncomfortable first one that comes to mind because i've been doing it recently is cold exposure I have a converted chest freezer that is an ice bath that I get in every day. That's a big one for me, but probably the most fundamental tenant is just exercise, just getting out there and sweating and lifting weights. Um, 
any sort of hard physical challenge just really gets me going. And especially if it involves some sort of running, because then it's, then it's more than just the physical component. It's that mental yeah. component. It's that little voice in your head telling you that you are going to quit. Mm. And I think, I think I shared this with you when we did the 50 mile walk, which I know we'll get to in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But my, the voice in my head, like I mentioned is pretty critical and mm. I love doing these big physical challenges. Every time I do a new one within the first like 10 minutes, the voice in my head is like, oh yeah, this is the one that you're going to quit, isn't it? Mm. And yeah, just staying in that space and proving it wrong is a big, a big thing for me in terms of seeking discomfort. Um, yeah. I'd like to, I, I would love to ask you, cause you were kind of saying, or let me just ask you the question. Like, why do you seek discomfort? Yeah, I, I seek discomfort because I do think that something has been lost, like our wild uh, and dangerous selves. You know, I think especially as men, I think we're created to kind of be these like dangerous beings on the edge of disaster almost. And like you're hunting and you're like protecting your family. You're like willing to put it all on the line and risk it all at any moment. And I think just that sitting in the office kind of feel or in front of your computer and everything just being safe. I think you really lose something of your wild and true self, if that makes sense. Um, I, I also think back to uh, Tim Ferriss has in his books, there's like a couple of people that talk about it in their books. There's this idea of like distress versus you stress. So distress is like you get curb stomped or you're stressed out about work and it like eats you alive inside. And it's like a bad negative stress. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about eustress, which is the opposite because there's euphoria and dysphoria. It's like the opposite that most people haven't really heard of. But the eustress is like a positive stress that you put on your body, like lifting weights. So I almost see it as like, you know, why do you lift weights? It's like, well, to make your body stronger. And I see some of these other habits as sort of, so like cold exposure, you know, you take a cold shower, you jump in the ocean for 10 minutes, like you really don't want to do it. But when you do it, you increase this strength of your willpower, um, just sort of who you are as a person, you're able to like push through difficult things. I think the same thing with like working out. It's like, okay, when things get hard, what are you going to do? Like you were saying, are you just going to like quit and turn around and that's it? Or are you going to like push through um, and complete the task. And then, I mean, you can get into like, you have to know when to quit certain things too, like your nonprofit, you know, you could push through forever, but it might, yeah. might not be the right thing. Or if you're doing a, you know, of a soak or something, it's like dangerous at a certain point. You're like, when do you give up? But that's part of the wisdom too. But I think that in everyday life, so many people, I mean, myself in the past included are so far away from that edge breaking point you live like in this little land of comfort that's like nowhere near your potential at all you're not even within like five percent of what you can do and it's like ah i might just give up and lay on the couch and eat some potato chips at any moment so it's like even to start to get close to that your potential is like a really beautiful thing i think that most people don't get to experience in their lives anymore yes yes and i'm so glad you brought this up because there's this thing, so I really like writing about these these hard physical challenges I do. And there's this concept that I came up with, and I call it the pain cave. 
Yeah. And the pain cave is this place that you get to when you're about three miles past what you thought was physically possible for yourself. You're in more pain than you've ever experienced in your entire life. But all of a sudden you, you enter the pain cave and it's like this place in your mind where everything just melts away. Like you can't feel the pain anymore. You get this intense hit of energy and yeah. it's this like raw prehistoric primitive nature, uh, primitive energy that comes out. And I've only experienced it a handful of times. It's when I was running my first half marathon in sand, which was yeah. awful. It's when I was doing the four by four by 48 and mm -hmm. running four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Um, yeah. At the end of the, the 50 mile walk, it, it started to come up. But yeah, it's like once you, once you do something that you had previously labeled as impossible and you complete it, it completely changes how you view yourself, how you view your life and what yeah. you think is possible. You can just yeah. come back to the table with so much more energy and just be like, okay, now that I did this, like what else can I do? Yeah. I, I think it's so funny too. It's almost like your body adapts so much more than you give it credit for in your mind as well. There's been times where like, I'll, I'll be about to go surfing and I'm like cold just walking out to my car. I feel like I'm like shivering. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know how it's going to be today. And then you get out there and it is cold and you're like freezing your butt off, but you kind of like get this state where you're like not cold anymore. You're like, huh. And then by the time you get out of the water and you see other people kind of huddled up on the beach, you're like, they're probably looking at me like I'm a crazy person right now. Mm -hmm. But I'm actually less cold than they are in some weird way, even though I've been in the ocean for like an hour and a half. Um, but I, I think, yeah, we build, it's like the story you tell yourself in a lot of ways. You're like, oh, this is possible. That's not possible. Here's what my limits are. And I think you, unless you like actually test those limits and see what is possible, I think people are capable of a lot more than they give themselves credit for. Yeah. And I love your idea of seeking discomfort to gain what we've currently lost in our really tame, safe, <laughs> secure society. And it's, yeah. it's a cool perspective because uh, the most general argument I hear for seeking discomfort is life is hard. Bad shit is going to happen. And you want to prepare yourself. You want to be mentally and physically strong enough to weather those storms when that stuff happens, when you know, you're dealing with a family illness or the loss of a loved one. Yeah. Like you want to do the work now so you can not crumble later. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I like that explanation. I like your explanation a lot as well. But yeah. what resonates with me the most is I don't choose... I don't seek discomfort because I think that life is really hard and that I need to prepare yeah. myself. I seek discomfort because I think life is pretty damn beautiful and it's really easy to just get on autopilot and let yeah. the days slip away if you're constantly comfortable. Uh, whenever I do a really hard physical challenge, when I come back from that, everything that's normal and ordinary and mundane about my daily life is amazing. Yeah. Like just coming back to, oh, I get to sit in a chair and look mm -hmm. at my computer instead of <laughs> running for 10, 30 hours or walking for two days. Yeah. Like it just really, it, it cultivates a radical appreciation and gratitude for my life that I haven't been able to kind of find anywhere else. 
Yeah, for sure. I feel that same way. After Amasogi, I was so grateful for like a cold bottle of water and <laughs> a bed to sleep in. It's like, it's awesome. Dude, after and, that Masogi, and I, I feel like we're going to have to talk about it next because yeah, we keep yeah. alluding to it. But right. after that, I literally, I was laying on the floor of Dana's kitchen, hardwood floor. And I was like, this is the most comfortable thing I've ever felt. Like I could just yeah. sleep right here. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to that now. Um, so so I guess to preface this, so there's this term that we, I guess, have been throwing around called Masogi. So we, so we all kind of read this book. The Comfort blank, Crisis. The Comfort Crisis uh, by Michael Easter. And it's, it's about this idea that we've lost something, uh, through modern comfort and he's kind of seeking to get it back. I think he struggled with alcoholism and an alcohol addiction. Um, and there's this group of guys, one of them I think was Michael Corver. He's like a pro, uh, player for the NBA heat or for the heat. Miami Heat. Um, and what they would do, I guess, once a year, they would do some basically impossible challenge. Like I think one time they uh, stand up paddle boarded to Catalina. Another time they had a rock that they uh, did a 5K with underwater. Like they would take turns like running with this rock underground or uh, underwater. So we got the great idea that we should do something similar. So we invited our whole group of like 15 people to do it and only uh, me, you, and Dana uh, were the ones that did it. And, and for some context too, Dana is probably 50 something years old. I think he's in his early fifties and he's like really ripped. He's probably like one of the most jacked older guys. He's got white hair, white beard, uh, but one of the most in shape older guys you'll ever see. So he, he lives in Auburn, California, and this was in October. Uh, so he invited us to go on a Masogi and for our Masogi, we figured we would just walk for 50 miles. And he tells us, so it's going to be a 50 mile walk. It's completely flat. There's no up and down at all. Um, I mean, it's basically two marathons uh, about, right? Cause it's like what, so mm -hmm. marathon 26 point something miles. Um, mm -hmm. So, and there's going to be water stops constantly um, should be pretty good shade. Uh, and I've got it all planned out. So I asked him a couple of times. I'm like, okay, well, what's the route? Where's the route that we're going? He's like, uh, I, I got it programmed into my phone. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm like, okay, how much water do we need? Uh, not that much water because we'll be stopped. There's stops all over the place, cold water, no big deal. Like, okay. So we show up the night before, get all ready to go, pack all our stuff. And then my memory was we start driving and we get near the start of it and Dana didn't really know where the start of the trail was <laughs> from what I remember. It was sort of like we were on a wild goose chase at like 3.30 in the morning until we finally found the trail. Um, Things started going south pretty quickly. I went to click on my headlamp at the beginning of it and realized that it wasn't charged. Yeah. Dana showed up with like the smallest little dainty camelback. I had like... Yep. I think one liter, 1.5 liters, and he was giving us shit. I had like a three liter. Yeah. Back yours was pretty big too. Yeah. And we just, we had supplies and he's like, oh, you guys aren't going to need any of that. Yeah. And, and, and the, the worst part for me was, so I have like a, well, he's 19 months old, but I had like a probably one year old, a little over a year old baby. And so, the point of the Masogi is I saw it was at least in the book, they're like, oh, we don't train for this at all. And then we show up day of and we just try our best. So that's what I did. But meanwhile, Gregory and Dana had been like going on 
15, 20 mile hikes, like on a regular basis to kind of trade for it. And, and Gregory's in like phenomenal shape also. And Dana do a lot of like endurance stuff. So I was like, woefully underprepared for this thing. I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll just be able to like go in and do it. Uh, so it was a little bit of a rude awakening for me. Just how, just how much, I guess you get beat up on just a walk like that. Yeah, it was a lot. And for the record, I had gone, I did a six mile walk. I think, oh, okay. I think Dana had gone up to 25. He was properly yeah. prepared. Right. Was, we were not. And yeah. man, I mean, the whole thing just from the beginning was hilarious. Like you said, it's, we started at, we woke up at three, we got to where we were going at four. We started at 4am. We didn't really know where the path was. We were using his little GPS app. Pitch and, black. Yeah. Pitch black. <laughs> And I'd say the first, you know, 11 to 15 miles were pretty fun. I remember we were having mm-hmm. some deep talks. We were talking about relationships, religion, dating apps. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't, for me at least, it really wasn't until I think it was a 25 mile mark when we stopped. It was like that really dry area. It started getting yeah. really hot. We ate yeah. a sandwich. We filled up our waters. And so far there had been water fountains and bathrooms like every mile it was mm-hmm. like oh we're to- gonna be totally fine yeah and then from mile 25 to the end there was nothing yeah and, and it, it went was like f- 95 degrees yeah and it went from this nice paved bike yeah. path that we were on to and it was like 60 degrees yeah to gravel uh super hot steep up and downs a uh, lot of elevation gain yeah and yeah that's that's kind of what ended up messing up your knee right yeah and 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 uh, yeah, my knee kind of started locking up. So I was like, kind of, I was literally like limping along after mile, probably like 29 or something. Like my knee started like flaring up and then it was like a hundred and something degree. It was like, it was very, very hot. There was no shade and it went from this smooth paved gravel, like paved road to, it was literally like hiking a trail. Yeah. And so like you guys were like running up a couple of the hills because it was like easier. I like literally couldn't run. I was like, oh, no, this is it. And as we went, I started getting like I we didn't have enough water. I think I drank some of your water. You had like a little bit extra, but like we it was getting out. really bad. Yeah, I ran out of water. Yeah. So his app sort of failed us in a way. He was like, yeah, he's like, it's going to be straight flat. I think we all could have done it easily uh, had it been just like straight and flat. But yeah, we got to mile, I think 37 and his wife was like there to stop and pick up supplies. And like, I just couldn't do it anymore. I felt like the drain of energy and I felt like the not enough water in my knee. And honestly, I felt like I was slowing you guys down. So I eventually made the decision to, to quit after 37 miles. And I think in hindsight, I'm glad I did it for sure. Um, I think I felt bad about it at the time. But uh, what's funny was like the next weekend, I had like this really bad kidney stone. (laughs) And I'm like 95% sure that I got it from not having enough water on that hike. So because I haven't had anything since and they like scanned it and they're like, it's usually from like dehydration and like an extreme physical thing that happens, you know, and, and there's been like nothing, nothing before and nothing since. Um, so I'm actually like glad I kind of stopped when I did. I think we, I would just plan it a little more, but it was really funny. You guys abandoned the trail, right? From what I, from what I remember, like the original trail that he had because it was like undoable basically to finish on that trail. Yeah. So right before we, we left you, like the three of us, we, I think it was, yeah, mile 36, mile 37, 
we realized that we weren't going to make it. We were out of water. Mm. We were on this trail that was the trail from hell. It was yeah. winding and up and down. And so we were trying to get in touch with Dana's wife on where she could meet us. And I remember, yeah, we had to leave the trail and just hike like under barbed wire fence through someone's random backyard to get to the street. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, once we were up on the main street, uh, I looked at Dana and I was like, we're not going back on that trail. We're just going to walk on the side of the road for the next 14 yeah. miles. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, you just want to get it done. You're like, whatever we have to do to finish this 50 miles and like check that, you know, box that you completed it. But I think that that's the cool thing about a Masogi. I don't think it's really so much like about, it's more of like a self-discovery journey. And I think I was able to get what I wanted, like the amount of pain and like physical discomfort that I went through that weekend was probably some of the greatest physical discomfort I've been in my entire life, except for the next weekend when I had a kidney stone (laughs) and missed my mother-in-law's wedding. (laughs) Because I was like literally just in bed in like excruciating pain. It was actually worse than the weekend before. I'm like, I thought it couldn't get any worse than like that first weekend. And the next weekend I was like, this is actually worse. Uh, But I do think I I did learn a lot about myself throughout that. And I think that's kind of like, that was kind of the point. That's kind of the point of the Masogi. It's like a self-discovery, push yourself to your limits. Like I was actually near the limits of my body. Yeah. Which is something that... I mean, most people never do, and I rarely do too. A normal workout, even if you do uh, CrossFit or something, it's like you can pretty much, you're at maybe 50% of your capacity or 40%. Um, so it was really, it was a really crazy experience to get to close to your limit. Your yeah. body starts locking up, and you're like out of water, out of food, out of energy. You got like nothing left. You really got to dig deep. Yeah. When you're in that like 80th, 90th percentile, that's when things really start getting interesting. Yeah. The pain cave, I guess, as pain you cave, exactly. as you were saying. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, I guess we could switch switch tracks a little bit now too. Um, what would you say? Well, what, would, what do you think you learned about from the Masogi? You think you learned anything about yourself? Or that probably wasn't even the most difficult challenge you've done, right? Because those other ones sounded yeah, that more... one was that one wasn't the most physically challenging. It might yeah. have been the most mentally challenging just because it was so long. Yeah. And... I honestly think it would be easier to run 50 miles than to walk 50 miles. Like right. it's for sure going to hurt more if you're running. The recovery after is going to be longer, but at least you can get in a rhythm and get mm-hmm. through it and get past it. Like when you're walking, it's just like so slow. Uh, right. At the end, I mean, it was taking us, how long was it taking us? I think it was taking us over an hour per mile. No, that's not right. Anyways, it, like yeah. by the end, we were just like, oh God, like, we have 14 miles left. Yeah. And it it just it didn't seem like it was ever getting any closer. So I'd say that was the hardest mentally. Physically the hardest was that running challenge I did, the 4x4x48. Four by four by but yeah. I definitely learned, I mean, every time I do these kind of things, I learn a lot about myself. And I think the biggest lesson here was the radical gratitude I have for my life. And how doing something like this is like, it's a, it's a full reset. I go back into my normal life and I'm just so refreshed and grateful for everything. Yeah. You realize how easy everything is. You're like, oh wait, my life actually is pretty easy. Like if I want lunch, I just go down the street and I buy it and yeah, everything's temperature controlled and yeah. You stop feeling sorry for yourself. And uh, my buddy, Josh, who's also in Men of Discomfort, he said it really well one time. He's like, yeah, when I'm doing all of these hard things, he, he did an Ironman. 
Um, he's like, when I'm training for an Ironman and I'm, you know, I just did like six hours on the bike before going to work or something. Uh, and like someone at work is yelling at me or like giving me a hard time. It just like yeah. doesn't phase me because you're, you're just like, okay, <laughs> so mm-hmm. what, like what I just yeah. did earlier was way harder than this. I can handle right. anything. Yeah. Basically just sitting here. Um, so a couple more things before we go, uh, let's talk about what's like your, I guess, miracle morning routine. Like what's your ideal morning routine? Like if you could just do it every day, that would be the best ever. You would feel so refreshed, awake and amazing for the rest of the day. And then what is like the routine that you do when you're in a pinch? So you're traveling or you have a work meeting really early in the morning, or you had a late night the night before and you have to be somewhere and you need extra sleep. What, what does that look like yeah. for you for a normal morning? I love this question because I like to think about my morning routine all the time, try and figure out the best way to do it. If I can make little changes. And then I also like to think about really big questions like, if I only had six months to live, what would I do every morning for the rest of those six months? Yeah. And the funny thing that I'm still trying to reconcile is if I only had six months left to live, I would surf every single day. My morning routine would be surfing. And then after that, I would come home and I would yeah. meditate. I would stretch. I would do some yoga and I would read. But because I feel like I'm going to live longer than six months, I tell myself that it needs to be more air quotes productive and surfing is something that I love, but it's really hard for me to fit into the morning routine because it takes so much time. Yeah. And then I feel like I'm just like almost like too chilled out after it to mm-hmm. like, you know, start grinding and get back into work mode. So I surf when I can, but my morning routine right now is I wake up. I drink 32 ounces of water as soon as I wake up. That has changed my life. Yeah. So much of the tiredness you feel when you wake up is actually dehydration. You don't actually need more sleep. Is it cold and water or like room temperature? Okay. Because yeah. cold water will give you a big headache if you if you pounded 32 ounces, right? I don't like cold I don't like to drink cold water. Oh, ever. Not really. I, I my dad and I prefer, prefer room temperature water. My mom mm. and my sister love cold water. We fight about it all the time. Interesting. Um, so it's it's drink water and then in no particular order, somewhat of an order, is I review what's called my life book. It's my goals. Uh, I do either a gratitude list where I'm writing out 10 things I'm grateful for and why. Or recently, I've just kind of reviewing the 10 things that I'm most grateful for and why. Yeah. Um, so those two combined, it's like gratitude and goals, working on manifesting the life I want yeah. and stretching. I do some sort of movement, whether it's just like, you know, five, 10 minutes of yoga, or it's just stretching on the carpet with uh, a back roller. And I have this thing called the so right that really gets into your psoas. Mm-hmm. And so I do that. What's a psoas? Your psoas, it's uh, muscles. It's like, I mean, I'm no... Yeah. Like in your hip area? Is that? Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. It's kind of like above your groin. Um, So sorry, I'm all over the place. So it's goals, gratitude, reading, some sort of movement, and then meditation. Right. I'm huge on meditation. Meditation is probably the thing that has impacted my life the most. When I meditate, I feel like I remember who I am. 
and why I'm doing what I'm doing and what my mission is, it yeah. really connects me to my highest self and just helps me calm down. And it also helps me um, take life less seriously. Like after meditation, I'm usually a lot more playful than yeah. if I don't meditate and I'm just like feeling stressed. What is what is kind of your uh, protocol for meditating? Is there something that you like? Is there music you listen to to get you in a relaxed state? Is there like a mantra that you say? Is there some kind of like what's your, I guess, process for that? I go between active meditation and passive meditation. Active meditation is listening to guided meditations that are more meant to manifest things. You're thinking a little bit more. Passive med- uh, passive meditation is I'll do just completely silent, no music, and I'll just sit there and feel into myself, focus on my breathing. I really like the mantra, I am, just repeating, I am, I am. That feels really good for some reason. Yeah. But on the active side, Dr. Joe Dispenza has some really powerful guided meditations. Vishen Lakiani, he has what's called the six-phase meditation. Mm-hmm. You can just YouTube it. It's free. 18 to 20 minutes, depending on which version you use. That's really, really popular, really effective. Yeah. And I'd say that, yeah, those, those are kind of my go-to for guided. And then a lot of times I'm trying to do more of the passive meditation. Yeah. Those are usually when I feel the most connected to myself, if I can really settle in. Uh, Cause the active meditations sometimes feel like, Oh, I'm just like trying to be productive. Like I'm trying to get something done mm-hmm. in this space that is literally meant to be do nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I I like that that you bring that up because I think that is a big part that's kind of overlooked in our modern society. Because like there's different aspects of a person, right? There's like mindsets, but then you also have like the soul piece of it, which could be connecting with God. Like I read the Bible every morning and pray and I kind of meditate in that sphere. And I like pray, meditate, try to get close to God, think about what I was just reading. Um, But it's like that soul part too that is definitely a part of your being. You also have like an emotionality part of your being. I feel like there's all these phases of being and it's easy to just kind of concentrate on one. You're like, what do I need to do to get tasks done, to get more money, to increase my status, you know, in Mm -hmm. some way. So I think that's really cool that you've integrated that. And I would encourage other people to like take that sort of have a holistic approach to yourself as a person. Because I think you need that like physicality as well. Like the workout is that physical part of you the meditation is sort of the soul part of you um the gratitude could be like the emotionality part of you getting in touch like with like your heart you know so i think it's really important that you have sort of all of those phases that makes you human incorporated i like how you were able to to do that first thing in your morning routine i think surfing is a really cool part of that too which i also enjoy to do but it is sort of a selfish it feels like a selfish pursuit that takes a couple hours with all the logistics of everything, but it does get you, it sort of does a couple of those boxes at the same time for me, you're in nature and you're working out and get time with yourself, you know, it does. And I'm really trying to see it more like that. And if I'm in a pinch, as you asked, meditation is by far the most powerful for me. I can feel it. If I go, if I go more than two days without meditating, I can feel it. I just yeah. like get this like angsty mm-hmm. vibe where things feel it, it feels like the the space between every second shrinks mm-hmm. when I haven't meditated in a while. Yeah. And after meditating or doing yoga, it's like more room in between each second. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you how do you feel about the Wim Hof breathing? 
I like that. I like that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I usually do the Wim Hof breathing before getting in the ice bath. That yeah. helps a lot. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's some really good stuff, Gregory. Do you have anything else that I missed that you really want to talk about that you want to tell everybody about? Um, Nothing is coming up except for if any of this has been interesting to listeners, if they want to learn more, especially I'd say the two things I'm most passionate right now, most passionate about right now are coaching. I love giving people an authentic coaching experience. Yeah. I do free discovery calls where I can just give like give people that tangible experience of what coaching is instead of trying to tell them about it and they you know you'll get you'll get progress on whatever you bring to the session out of it. Um, so if anyone's interested in trying one of those free discovery sessions learning more about coaching, they can find me at my website which is gregoryrussellbenedict.com. Yeah. And then you can click on the coaching tab. I'll, I'll send you that information so we can. Yeah, link and it. I'll yeah I'll, I'll link it on the description of this of this also, and uh, let people know where to find you. And uh, yeah, what would you say is the biggest problem that you solve, and like the thing that you help people with the most? Like, what are people stuck on that they really get the most value from working with you? Oh, I love this question. So the thing that stops people the most, in my eyes, is resistance. It's this invisible force that is stronger for things you really care about than things you don't care about that much. And it's all of the excuses and rationale on why now isn't the time to do this, why you should wait till next week, uh, why you can't do this or that. And I help people overcome their resistance and face that resistance by peeling back the layers and seeing, okay, what is the real reason you aren't starting to work out? Or what is the real reason why you right. didn't call your friend back who you said you were going to like things like that. Um, peeling back the layers to overcome resistance, ultimately to help people live the life that they want to live one that's truly their own. And it's not the life that others expect of them. Uh, I yeah. think the last thing I'll share here, I gave a speech on this this morning at Toastmasters. The number one regret people have when they're on their deathbed is I wish I would have had the courage to live a life true to myself not the life others expect of me. Yeah. And this is so personal to me. When I heard this for the first time, I realized that I wasn't living a life true to myself. I was working a job I didn't like. Uh, the only reason I was still drinking is because my friends liked Party Greg. And I had this dream of becoming a life coach, but I was too scared to even tell anyone about it. Yeah. And when I heard this quote, I made changes in all of those areas. And so... That's that's literally part of my mission. I tell people that my mission is to help you realize your potential by living a life that is truly your own. There's so many people out there who just are oppressed by yeah. expectations from their parents, from their teachers, from society, thinking that they have to be an accountant or they have to be a lawyer or they're working at this sexy tech startup and if they quit, like what happens to your identity? Um, so it's, <laughs> it's half going off. It's, yeah. Helping people do the things that light them up, find what lights their soul on fire, and then overcome all of the resistance and all of the excuses that get in the way. Yeah. And you've already done that for your life in a lot of ways too. So who better to help somebody out and coach them than somebody that's been through it and done it too. So yeah. I'm constantly living it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Gregory. Yeah. If you want to uh, follow Gregory, that uh, we'll link his website here. And, and he also is co-host of 
Dare to Dream podcast, right? Yes, sir. Uh, so you can find him there as well. But yeah, thank you so much for your time, Gregory. It's been really awesome chatting with you. I'm sure I'll probably have you on in the future as well. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Dan. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>